Father, again, we thank you that your word is sufficient. And being found in Christ, we are complete. Thank you, Lord, that as you were on the cross, you were able to say, it is finished. That we are completely secure uh, in your salvation. Father, as we know these truths, help us to be about your business. Of sharing your word, of using our gifts. Father, if there is anyone here that is perhaps religious but not a believer, may today be their day of salvation. May they understand that not only are they sinful and condemned, but that you love them by sending your Son to die on the cross. And may they put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that as believers, again, we would truly be about your business because we want to hear... Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Guide our thoughts. Lord, if there's areas that need to be changed, we ask that by the power of your Spirit you would convict us and that we would see this sanctification process being happening in our own lives. Lord, help us not to be content and comfortable where we're at if you want to grow us into something different. Again, just use us so that you might be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. As we've been studying this for the last number of weeks, you may have noticed that Paul has answered some of the most profound questions that humanity often asks. Some of those questions is, are, who am I? It's funny how humanity comes up with some really odd answers to that one. And why am I here? Where do I belong? What must I do? And where am I going? Aren't those some really important questions? You realize scripture and Christianity answers every one of them, and they're all found in Christ. But if you think of Romans chapter 12, some of those questions specifically are being answered. Who am I? Or to say it another way, what's my identity? And we found in chapter 12, verse 1, that we are living sacrifices. Or to say it in a different way, as Paul would say in other places, we are servants of Christ, we are slaves of Him. He's our master, we are His slaves. Now, you may not like that terminology. I don't want to be a slave. Well, you're a slave to someone or something, just depends on who. I'm glad I'm a slave to Christ. I'm glad I'm free in Him. I'm glad the shackles of sin have been broken. I'm slave to righteousness. You're a slave to something or someone. That's who I am. That's what Paul is saying. And, and he says it this way, based on the mercies of God, which is verses one through, uh, chapters 1 through 11, because God has been merciful to us, because we have understood that Jesus Christ came and died for us, that our sins were placed on Him. He was our sin bearer on the cross. Because God was so merciful to draw us to Himself through Christ, we are now forgiven, placed into the body, He says, be a living sacrifice. That should be our identity. We are children of God. But maybe ask another question. Where do I belong? Again, Paul's answering that. Look at verse 3. Don't be high-minded, thinking like you're someone special. We're all part of the body, verse 4. Many members in one body. That's where we belong. In fact, that's how God is going to use us, is through the body. That's why we should be radically committed to each other because we are part of the body of Christ. Unfortunately, some think they're more important than everyone else and that's why verse 3 says, don't be high-minded. Don't be proud. By the way, because I am in Christ, it also answers the major question, where am I going? I'm going home. That's where I'm going. I'm not home. Are you home? I hope this is not home for you. You understand that we're going home? And every day we live, we're moving away from this world towards our reward. 
That's why it's so hard for an unbeliever, because every day they live, they're moving away from what they consider their reward, this earth. But a believer, we're moving towards home. We need to be encouraged by that. But then Paul answers another question, starting in verse 6, and that is, what am I supposed to be doing? (laughs) See, yes, we're part of one body, but maybe we're just part of one body and we have... You know, we're different, but no, we, we have a gifts. And as we have these gifts, we need to be using those gifts. That's what we should be doing. So we're interdependent, as we've been talking about. We're interdependent on each other. Again, 1 Corinthians 12 is clear that none of us can say that we're in of ourselves sufficient. We need each other. On the other hand, none of us should ever say, well, and you know, who am I? How can I be a blessing? I just, you know, I just feel like I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just, woe is me. No, no, we are are all critical members. And that's what we want to look at today a little bit more in depth. And next week we'll start verse 9. I gave you a, a general thought last week, and I wrote it in your outline again. Every believer, this is very critical, because this kind of summarizes as far as spiritual gift. Every believer has a spiritual gift from God, which is unique to them for the common good. In fact, say it with me, will you accept? I'm going to give it to you a different way. I, as a believer, have a spiritual gift from God. I am unique in that spiritual gift. I must use this gift for others. Question, are you using your spiritual gift? Are you using it? Now again, sometimes people say, well, you know, it's amazing the, the, uh, the reasons why we don't use our spiritual gift. Uh, I'm too young. How many of you are under the age of 12? Dale, Dale Vance went like this. Sometimes we think under 12, you know, maybe, hey, are you saved? Again, you don't have to raise your hand. But if you're saved and you're even under 12, do they have a spiritual gift? Do they need to be using it? Yeah, sometimes we forget about it. How about this, the other side of the spectrum? I'm too old. How many of you are? I won't say. (laughs) How about this one? My relationships are not all together. I'll wait till they all get together, then I'll start serving. I have children at home. Don't you understand how much time it takes to raise children? Well, yeah, I do. But how about this? I'm sick. I don't feel good. Surely I get a pass on using my spiritual gift. Paul was in prison, beat up. Let's start thinking about this. Jeremiah was in a hole. Uh, Daniel was taken off into captivity with his three friends. Um, Isaiah, we think in Hebrew, is talking about him being sawn in sunder. I mean, he was under major persecution. Um, John was on the Isle of Patmos. Actually, think about Paul. How many letters did he write that are called prison epistles? I mean, think about it. It's amazing how, no, ministry continues on. In fact, sometimes your most productive ministry is when you are older, when you are sick, when you are going through trials, when you are hurting. Don't use that as an excuse. God doesn't look at it that way. Or you might say, well, maybe I'll start using it when I stop sinning. (laughs) Well, again, that's a bad excuse. See, we all have spiritual gifts. They've been given to us. We need to use them. As I said last week, our our gifts are unique. Think of the... uh, the gifts that we're looking at. In fact, MacArthur has a great little quote. If you have a MacArthur Study Bible, in chapter 12, verse 4, this is what he writes, and I think this is so this summarizes it so well. He says, if you look at the two passages where the spiritual gifts are primarily uh, identified, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, he said the listing, the listing, the general categories of spiritual gifts, the emphasis in each list, because they're not the same, If you go to 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, they're different lists. In other words, they're different components, different ingredients, as it were. The emphasis in each list is not on the believers identifying their gift perfectly. Now, I want you to get that. 
When it comes to spiritual gifts, it's not about us identifying our gift perfectly. You can wait till the day you die and may not, may not know. In fact, I have a tendency to believe that God gives you grace when needed. You start teaching, that gift will start to become more prevalent. But, he says, not to, to identify it perfectly, but on faithfully using the unique enablement God has given each. The fact that the two lists differ clearly implies the gifts are like a palette of basic colors from which God selects to blend a unique hue for each disciple's life. I love that illustration because my wife is a painter. And I like watch. I can't paint. I can't sing. I can't do much of anything. I don't even know why I exist. No, I... Uh, <laughs> Now, I, I brought in uh, my apron. Sometimes, yeah. Let's see, was, the chef rocks. Yeah. But uh, the reason I brought this in, I was going to bring in flour and sugar and all that, but I thought, man, it's going to fall and then it'll be a mess and everybody will be looking at that. So, but the point is, is this. Oh, this is, um, the point is, is this. God is like a chef. It says in Corinthians that God composes each member of the body as he wills. Think of the gifts as like ingredients, like the palette of colors on a, on a palette. You know, the idea is God gives to each believer, all right, some teaching. You know, it's just like the ingredients of flour, sugar, water, you know, butter, and, uh, you know, all the other great ingredients. You can make cupcakes, you can make uh, cakes, you can make uh, bread, you, but they're all similar uh, ingredients. So these are the ingredients, but each one of you has been composed by God himself and then placed in the body. I wear the apron to remind us that we're, you know, God is the chef. God is the one that is the one that creates and place, or, uh, calls you and places you within the body. Okay? Um, so again, don't think of it like, well, I have the gift of teaching and I don't have any part of mercy. No, no. It, it's a combination. Combination. Oh, better not do that. Someone will get upset with me. <laughs> So again, it's not just about having the gift of prophecy or the gift of teaching or the gift of mercy. In fact, perhaps we are scattered throughout, but uh, like snowflakes, like snowflakes. But for the common good. In other words, we belong to Christ, but we belong to each other. And if we don't use our gifts, we're not, we're, we're, we're cheating the body. We are cheating the body of Christ by not using our gifts. In fact, in some respects, we even cripple the body because some part is not being used efficiently, just like in your own body. What if your liver all of a sudden said one day, nah, not going to do it. Not going to do it. Not going to filter blood anymore. I'm on protest. You know, I feel a little sick. I feel a little wheezy. I'm not going to do it. Well, again, you know, the body dies. And again, for us, we need to see that. We have to, uh, uh, we have to be willing to serve. Sometimes when it's hard, uh, again, we're going to get into specific gifts. In fact, let's look at them. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Let me say it again. Let us use them. Why? Because the, the tendency for Christians is not to use our gifts. We come up with all kinds of excuses. Time and, you know, and sometimes time issues. You know, well, don't you understand where my, my children are at their, you know, development? Well, there always are going to be issues. Especially when you live in a prosperous society, at least for the moment, we have all kinds of options. We have to start saying this is priority. We need to eliminate options that are out there that the world gives us to waste time. Well, there's seven of them here. First of all, prophecy. Notice that. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Again, prophecy primarily refers to forthtelling, not foretelling. We uh, saw last week that Moses, because he was unwilling to speak, God said to him, listen, and this is a, this is a quote from um, Exodus 7.1, Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. The idea of a prophet was one who spoke, as it were, in front of another. In other words, God sent men, God sent men on this earth to speak for him, God. And they, they were like the mouthpiece for God, spoke in front of just like Aaron spoke for uh, Moses because he was unwilling. But there is a very important part. In proportion to our, and I said last week it's a definite article, the faith. In other words, there are limitations to what a prophet can say. It has to agree with the written word of God, the scriptures that have already been recorded. I also think it has to do with their own uh, 
limitation of their own faith. In other words, what they truly know is from God. In other words, when people speak, just because a person speaks doesn't mean it's truth. And so we have to keep within the, the limitation of the faith, once for all, delivered to the saints, as Jude says. So that's the first one. Telling truth, that's a gift. Now again, think of a person. It might be a Sunday school teacher, it might be a pastor, it might be a teacher of whatever type, junior church, toddler time, it might be a person speaking in a nursing home, someone presenting truth. They have to be willing, or they have to be, have the ability to tell truth, for tell, uh, foretelling truth. Now again, there's an element in prophecy of foretelling. There are prophets who literally told new information, but the emphasis is not on new information, it's telling information. How about the second one? Serving. Ministry. It says, let us use it in our ministry. And the word ministry, again, is from diakonai, which we get diakonos, which we get the word deacon. Deacon. What are deacons? Deacons are servers. It's a general word. By the way, it's not a low word. Jesus, It says of Jesus that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. But notice how Paul uses, notice how he says it at the end. Or ministry, serving, let us use it in our ministry. Circle the little word in. <laughs> like just do it. <laughs> in, not out. In. He says do it. You got the gift? If you, if you, if you sense that God has gifted you, do it. By the way, uh, you know, it says that Timothy served Paul when he was in prison. It talks about Paul serving the Jerusalem church by bringing them the gift. This word is used in those contexts. It talks about Onesiphorus served Paul also while he was in prison. What is the point? We're, we're all called to serve. Some, some, though, have the giftedness to serve above and beyond what is even normal. But you see a need and you, and you serve. You see a need and you meet the need. You see, but you see a need and you meet the need. Isn't that pretty cool? Question is, are, are our eyes open? Sometimes we just don't see the need. It's there, you just don't perceive it. I remember a while back, my mother had cataract surgery to remove, and my grandfather went through the same procedure just a little bit before that. And both of them, like, I can see so much more. It was like always there, but I just couldn't see it. Do you have ca- spiritual cataracts? as it pertains to spiritual gifts, as it pertains to the body of believers. See, they would have just told you it before the surgery. Well, yeah, I can see. I can see. They could see. But they couldn't see sharp. They couldn't see with perception. They couldn't see really clearly. And God wants us to see clearly. That's why, you know, in serving, serve in our ministry or in our serving. How about teach? He who teaches in teaching. There again, in teaching. Just do it. Teaching is, again, the word didasco. It just, again, there, by the way, there are a number of positions that really should be a teacher. I mean, if you're a Sunday school teacher, hopefully that is an emphasis in your spiritual gift, right? <laughs> that you have the ability to teach. I have seen some, though. I wonder if they really did have the gift of teaching. Um, if you're a pastor teacher, obviously you should have that as a you know, primary component of your gift. Again, I use the word gift singular because Peter says in your gift, singular. In other words, there's... The gift that you have is made up of these gifts, these ingredients, as it were. But do it. I remember a man saying, a well-known pastor, he said, you know, he believed, and no one can know, but he believed that 30%, a third of the Christians had the gift, uh, emphasis of teaching in their spiritual gift. Which makes sense. It's all, the war is over truth. We need teachers. Right now, we need teachers. We need Sunday school teachers. We need Toddler time teachers. We need junior church teachers. We need word of life teachers. I mean, we need teachers. Some of you are have that gift and have not used it, and God is going to look at you and say, you, you squandered what I had. You, you didn't use it. It's going to be a dark day. Many tears. What could have been. Right? I mean, I'm looking forward to the day of judgment, but I also know he, there is a part where it says he wipes away every tear. There must have been some sadness along the way. Again, we have to be careful to be faithful. 
I know God is gracious. God is merciful. Aren't you glad for that? He's our Father. We have a relationship with Him. But you know, just like I would look at a son and say, you know what, I gave this to you. You need to use it. I told you to use it. I told you to be faithful. Why? Do you think I'd be pretty strict if they weren't faithful with what I gave them as a father? No, God is too. Let's look at the next one. Exhortation. This is another ingredient. He who exhorts. This is kind of new uh, we, we didn't look at this last week. He who exhorts an exhortation. The word exhort means, uh, it's parakleo, which means to call alongside to help. Call alongside to help. I always say do this because I always think I'm putting my arm around someone. Call alongside to help. It's a wonderful word. And it's a very wide word, okay? Uh, it has a lot of uh, connotations, a lot of uh, um, applications. It can include, this is what this word can include. It can include advising, pleading, encouraging, warning, strengthening, comforting, and probably some other ones. But it's a very general word. It's, it's whatever that person, that believer needs to come alongside. Come alongside. Some of you come alongside very well. It's not a weak word. It's not like come alongside and give the person a slap on the back. Although sometimes you need that. But the idea is you come alongside and you meet them where they are in need. They need to be warned, you warn them. If they need to be exhorted, you do that. If they need to be comforted, if they feel crushed, if they've just got the news of cancer, you are there. It's what uh, Hebrews 10 says, exhort one another. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself. Why? Come together to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Why? Exhorting one another. See, there's a reason. We don't just get together, give me my message, give me the message, give me something to think about and we leave. No, there's this life, life that is interacting, webbing together with each other. If you just come, get something, leave, no connection with people, I don't think you've done what God wants. It says to exhort one another. Let your lives mesh together with each other because we need each other. You know, a word that is closely related to this, again, this is the word paracleo, is paraclete, and that is used of our Lord Himself, Jesus Christ. He is our helper. In fact, in John 14, it says this, I will pray the Father that He will give you another helper which is the Holy Spirit. Now think about that. He says, I'm leaving, and you've been depending on me, and I've been counseling and teaching and encouraging and uplifting, and, but I'm leaving, and I'm going to send you another, and the word is alos, another of the same exact type as I am. In other words, this third person in the Trinity, and he's going to come, and he's going to be with you forever. But he's a paraclete. He's one who comes alongside. That's what the Spirit of God does. He, he indwells us, but he does more than that. What does he do? He encourages us. He convicts us. He, he, um, he exhorts and warns. That's what conviction is, right? He comes right along. So there's, a, there's an understanding. I mean, we all are exhorters to some extent, but some have a, a major emphasis in their gift on exhortation. I think of Christian counselors should be this. They should have a major emphasis of exhortation in their spiritual gift. Or the, just the one anotherings. I mean, let me tell you some ways this can be used. It's used to exhort a believer to turn from sin or a bad habit. And then is used in that same believer's life to encourage him to maintain his correct behavior. That's how it's used. Or it might be used in comforting a believer who is facing trouble or is suffering physically or spiritually. You know, it might not just be physically. It might be they just feel like they're in the depths of despair. And someone, two, maybe three come along and they put their arm. By the way, it's not saying that all the church has to put their arm around, but this one or two or three people, they put their arm around that person. They walk alongside them through the valley of the shadow of death. It can also be used like this, to undergird a weak believer who is facing a difficult trial or a persistent temptation. You have that close friend, you have that accountability partner. I do. There's times when I just need to run to that person and say, okay, give me wisdom, give me advice, give me understanding, and don't be easy on me. If I'm doing wrong, point it out. 
But again, you have to be willing to be vulnerable, right? Sometimes I've had we've had cases where people have been, you know, they got hurt, went in the hospital, came out. Like three weeks later, we found out that that all happened. We didn't even know. I'm saying we being like the church, the elders, whatever. And then they got upset because no one came and visited them. You didn't say anything. We've got to be willing to be transparent and vulnerable. In fact, you have to even be willing to say, listen, uh, I need to be ministered to. Why can't we say that? Don't just feel that and then get frustrated when no one moves. Now, again, if you say, I need to be ministered to, and then, you know, then no one moves, well, maybe that's right to feel frustrated. But you know what I'm saying? We have to be, we have to treat each other like brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we are. This gift can also maybe walk in beside a friend who is grieving, who is discouraged, who is frustrated or depressed. You know, these are kind of intermixing. It's helping to carry the burden, like Galatians 6, where, you know, when that burden is like a crushing burden. Again, this is just a wonderful gift. I think of Barnabas. He's actually called this the son of encouragement. Now think about that. Wouldn't you love to have your name like part of like the son of encouragement? He's the son of encouragement. I mean, think about when Paul got saved. He goes back, I believe it was Jerusalem church, and it says that they were fearing him because they didn't know if his conversion was true. You know what happened? Barnabas, I can almost visualize it. Like he took him by the hand. You're going with me. And, And it was based on Barnabas's testimony that Paul got into the inner core when it came to the church there. He was certainly, he could have, Paul could have been like, now again, not in the province of God, but Paul could have been that guy out here, and yet Paul, or Barnabas, you know, got him right to where the leadership was. Or John Mark, you know, later on in, I think it's Acts 13, uh, Paul says, I don't want him going on, whatever reason, he, he, I don't want him on this next uh, missionary trip. Barnabas connects. How many Christians have just faltered, fall, fallen away, and we just kind of say, isn't that too sad? And really, we need a Barnabas to go to that person. Hey, I'm with you. Yes, you sinned severely. Yes, you wrecked your life, but it's not over. God is the God of hope. Isn't he the God of hope? Some of you are drowning thinking, well, it's it's all over. I've, I've just made so many bad choices, sinful decisions. It's done. I'm just surviving till I see Jesus, and I know it's going to be really bad at that point. I'm saved, but he's going to be so disappointed. You can have a new beginning today, but sometimes we need a Barnabas to come alongside of us. You know this, again, in exhortation, just do it. How about giving? He who gives with liberality. By the way, are we all supposed to give? You know, Scripture is very clear that God is the owner and we are the manager. Do we believe that? That everything I have is really his on loan? Limbaugh always says, on loan from God. He doesn't understand how true that is. In fact, I don't even like how he says it. Because there's almost a sarcasm. No, it is on loan. We, and we are, we are stewards, which in the New Testament was a man who oversaw a wealthy man's property with the understanding that there was going to be an accounting someday. That's why uh, Psalms uh, says that the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. We are his managers. We are his money managers. We are his gift managers. I liked how Randy Elkhorn uh, spoke of money. It says, our name is on God's account. Now, this is how he wrote about money. We have unrestricted access to it a privilege that is subject to abuse. As his money manager, God trusts us to set our own salaries. Now, that's pretty interesting. We draw needed funds from his wealth to pay for our living expenses. One of our central spiritual decisions is determining what is a reasonable amount to live on. The amount varies varies from person to person. We shouldn't hoard or spend in excess. Why? Because it's not mine, it's his, and he's going he's gonna to hold us to an accounting. Look at your checkbook sometime. It's not mine. And every decision I make is a spiritual decision. Should I go for a McDonald's today? I'm going to say not to. Just understand, it is a spiritual decision. Because you're using someone else's money. We forget that. We forget that. So, 
Some of the people that are the richest in, in, in this life will be the poorest in the next because they were poor stewards. So we have to be careful. But here, now notice this. He, he adds something. He says, but here we need to be with liberality. There are certain people that are going to give, but they're going to give over and above. The word liberality means singleness. That's really what it is. And you say, well, how does liberality tie with single, sing, singleness? Well, it came to mean single-mindedness or open-heartedness, i.e. generosity. Do you see how it all works together? So Paul says, listen, one of the gifts is giving. He who gives, but do it with liberality. By the way, a gift, a person that has a major element of this in their life may start looking around and comparing. Well, they only give 10%, or they probably give 3 they probably don't even. And so, instead of giving with liberality, they give with comparison. And Paul says, listen, don't do that. But I think it's more important that the idea of single-mindedness is who are you looking to? I.e., let me give you another verse. Colossians 3.22, it says, bondservants, here it's just talking about bondservants. It says, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but, this is the word, in sincerity of heart, fearing God. You got it. Okay. When I give, I need to give with singleness of focus. My eyes are set on Christ. I'm not giving to be a man pleaser. I need to give because I'm a God fearer. And yet I need to give with that singleness. In other words, I'm not giving because I'm comparing. I'm giving because He has given. And for some, apparently there is a, a major part of their gift of being able to give with liberality. I mean, they give over and above. And some might even say, you know, you should keep some and invest it. No, this is what I want. This is, this is for God. Chuck Swindoll brings up a pretty interesting illustration. He says when he was in seminary at Dallas Theological Seminary, there was a man there by the name of Howard Cain. And apparently this Howard Cain had the gift of giving. He said of 11 guys, plus one, he said... All their tuitions were being paid by this man. In fact, he said this. I remember one day uh, he came to Dallas and got all 11 of us together and said, hey, I want to take you out for a drive today. After a sandwich, he took us several blocks away to a men's store. Instead, inside, he suited us up in new suits, new sport coats, one fellow after another. He sat there and just beamed. He was happier than we were. He wasn't wealthy. But there was something inside of him, called the spiritual gift, that was not satisfied until there was an outlet for the gift. Apparently, again, this guy not only did suits and sandwiches, but he, he paid a, a tremendous amount of tuition. He just sacrificed. It was just this thing, just like some teach or some, I've got to reach that person. There's a passion. But Paul says, do it with liberality. You know, don't do it like the uh, Pharisees who sound a trumpet so that they can have glory from men, like Matthew 6. Just give. Maybe even give till it hurts. Second Corinthians 8, Paul talks about the, the Macedonian church. He's writing to the Corinthians, but he's talking about the Macedonian church, and he says this, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now catch what he says. That in the great trial of affliction, by the way, this is where Philippi was located. <coughs> Excuse me. And they were under persecution. Great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. That's literally, they were under deep poverty. They didn't have a lot. Abounded in the riches of their liberality. Here's a poor church giving from their heart, liberally, Single focus. They were generous. Why? Because their eyes were on Christ, not others. And so Paul says, and use the same exact word, they were liberal in their giving. It's interesting in that passage in 2 Corinthians 8, he uses grace, the word grace in some form, five times, which drives the point home that, you know, if we're going to give as of to the Lord, it has to be done through grace. It's got to be because he's the one doing it through us. So, question, are you generous? Are you generous with what you've been given? Are you generous with your time? Are you generous with your spiritual gift? Are you generous with your 
finances. Some of you perhaps have a, a major ingredient in your, in your spiritual gift of giving, and it, and it, and it feels like it, it needs to overflow more, but you, you get your eyes on people. And so he says, do it with singleness of heart. Do it with liberality. How about the next gift? Leading. He who leads with diligence. The, the word leading primarily means standing before others. And that's, that's what the idea of leading, propistomai. Uh, to superintend, to preside over, to be a guardian, to be, I, I like the best word, uh, manager. Be a manager. But you're overseeing. Similar to, uh, well, that doesn't matter. But there are other words in Scripture are similar to that, one of which is in Corinthians 12. Uh, it's, it's the word administration. So it seems like in Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, there's two different words, but they both mean the idea of managing, overseeing, uh, uh, you know, making sure that what God has given is, is being used properly. Uh, the, the word in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 is used of the helmsman, the person who is steering the ship. So there's going to be some who are leaders, but notice, by the way, this word appears uh, for deacons, for elders. I mean, obviously, a deacon and elder should have leadership ability. First Timothy 3, it says this, one who rules his own household well. That's talking about fathers. But then there's an uh, application to, uh, to uh, elders. It says, one who rules his own household well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does know, not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So if a man is supposed to be an elder, he needs to rule, but it's supposed to be proven in his own home. So fathers need to rule, elders need to rule, deacons need to rule along with the elders. Obviously, I said deacons, the primary word is uh, servant, but even deacons should prove themselves through their family. You can learn a lot about how a parent, how a father parents if he's always giving just in, you know just commands authoritarian in his home how do you think he's going to do when he gets to church example proved right so paul says listen let's make sure you look at how the man operates in his own home before you bring him in as an elder but he says this with diligence <laughs> Now, now, this is interesting because this is going to be the temptation. Whereas the temptation for giving was liberality, not having singleness of focus. Here, the temptation of not doing it well is not being diligent. As he says, you've got to be diligent about it. The word diligent means to be earnest, like with haste. Have zeal, have passion. You're a leader, be passionate about what you're leading, who you're leading. It's easy to lose passion. It's, it's easy to grow weary. It's easy to give up, to quit. I've seen this over the years. It's hard to stay in the game when it comes to even church leadership. You know, you go down the path and you feel like God wants you to lead this, but then, you know, it doesn't all go your way. And because it doesn't all go, I'm just going to get, I'm going to do something else. No, be diligent. In fact, I would say this, be diligent and learn to work together as a team. You come up with a great idea. I want to do this. You know, I was thinking about some of the ministries that would be great to have in this church, like prison ministry. We have jails and prisons and really no witness. I know some of you have worked it before, but or let's say a nursing home ministry. Is that a need? Yeah. Or, you know, no, you, can, you can just kind of... Or college ministry. Look at that. 6,000 kids, we have no ministry. But the question is, we need a leader, but we need a leader that doesn't give up, and we also need a leader that's willing to work together as the picture of the, ch- I mean, of the whole of the church. We've had leaders that say, well, we're going to do it our way, and if you get involved, you know, get in our way, we're out of here. We're not talking about that type of leader. We're talking about with diligent, passionate, not losing heart, because this is what God's called us to do, and we're a body. So be diligent. Have staying power. You have staying power. I hope you do, because God expects it. And then finally, mercy giver. He who shows mercy. By the way, the word mercy means actively demonstrating sympathy, 
In other words, you have the desire and you also do it. Some people have a desire to show mercy, but they don't do it. So it's the desire along with the action of showing mercy. They have sympathy, but then they also meet the need. Let me give you some areas, and I just mentioned them. If, if you go to Matthew 25, there's some areas that we need to think, and, and, and actually I feel convicted here. As a church, we need to get, we need to get ministering in these areas. And then he will say, uh, Matthew 25, 41, then he will say to those on, the, um, on his right hand, let's see, where, where am I at here? Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, verse 35. Uh, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. You know, think about even the nursing home and the prisons and the, the poor. And so, sometimes as, as evangelicals and fundamentalists, which I am, you know, the social gospel says we need to care about people's needs. And sometimes we say, yes, we need to care, but we need to get them the gospel, which is true. But you've got to get them what they need as well. Sometimes we forget that. We don't live in an area where there's a lot of homeless. So, so you know what I mean? We've got to care about people. And, and, and I'm saying that to myself as much as I'm saying it to you. But some of you have abilities. And maybe you're sitting back and saying, well, my gifts are not really being used because, you know, they don't have a prison ministry in the church. I would say this. One, see if God really wants you to do it. See it happen, but work together as a body because it can be so much more productive as we do it as, as a body. As a mercy giver, notice this. Do it with cheerfulness. Actually, the word is hilariot. We get hilarious. In other words, don't do it with drudgery. <sighs> I got to go serve those people again. You know, why can't they just die? <clears throat> no, 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 no. I, I mean, there's times, there's times I have to do something. We're all called, by the way, to get out of our comfort zone. If you wait to be in your comfort zone to serve, you won't. But he says, listen, you know what the temptation is on mercy givers? That you won't do it with a cheerful attitude. You won't do it, you'll do it out of drudgery. You'll just see the need, but you won't see that you're serving the king. So that's why he says, listen, do it with cheerfulness. See, some of us have been gifted, we've been using it, but we fall into you know, looking at others. We fall into doing it out of the wrong attitude. We, we fall into looking at people versus the fear of God. So he's, along the way, you know, I lead, sometimes not with diligence. I don't do it with passion. Oh, I just want to quit. You know, they irritate me. Wait, wait, wait. We're talking about the church, the body of Christ, those who Christ has redeemed. It should put a different attitude in my heart. Let me, let me close with a, just a few practical things. Because you may be saying, okay, you've, we've, done a, a seri- I mean, we've done a couple lessons on the body, how we're interconnected, we're interdependent, we need each other. If I don't use my gift, I'm actually cheating the other people in the body. You've gone through and actually evaluated at least seven gifts, knowing there's some more in 1 Corinthians 12. But question, how can we use our giftedness effectively? How can we use it? By the way, not how can we discover it. Because discovering a gift and using a gift is two different things. Some people discover their gift and they think, okay, that's nice, put it in the drawer. At least I know what I have. Well, I would say, first of all, there's a couple foundational truths. He's already covered them in chapter 12. One is we are a living sacrifice. If I'm going to use my uh, spiritual gift effectively, first of all, I need to be a living sacrifice. Based on the mercy of God. I was saved from damnation. I was saved from the penalty of my sin. Christ has brought me into the body of believers, okay? And I want to be a living sacrifice. That's a foundational truth. The second one is not to think of himself more highly than he ought. That's verse 3. I need to have a humble opinion of myself. Yes, I am important, but I am not supreme. Christ is. But I am needed. And I need to understand that. And third, I am interdependent. I need you, you need me. 
And those are foundational truths. If you want to discover and use your gift effectively, I have to go in saying, okay, I want to be used. I want to know my gift because I want to use my gift. Then I would add these four quick things. Be experimenting with possible gifts. In other words, uh, uh, service projects as were, or opportunities. You say, well, I'm not really sure where I'm supposed to be used. I would just say, be experimenting. <laughs> Get out of your comfort zone. Be willing to say, you know what, I see there's a need for toddler time teaching. Now, after four weeks of that, you might be like this. Help! Help! (laughs) But you know, you might find, boy, the grace of God was more than sufficient. So during this process of serving, you're praying. Praying always is there. Because God help me to understand. You're open. By the way, you're open in the sense that you're not like saying, yes, that's definitely where I'm supposed to serve. Or you're not saying, no, that's definitely where I'm not supposed to serve. You're just open to the possibilities. I mean, what if, my hand, what if I try my hand in a particular area and it turns out that I'm not gifted in that area? Have I like sinned or have I presumed upon the Lord or No. I like what Dr. Thomas says on a master's seminary. He said this, Every one of the gifts represented, represents a general Christian responsibility. How many of us are not supposed to give? We're all supposed to give. How many of us are not supposed to teach? We all teach. If you have a family, you're teaching. If you're a parent, if you're a, a, a spouse, we're all teaching each other. Some of us have a, a spiritual gift in that area. I mean, how many of us are not supposed to show mercy? So his point is, every one of these gifts are a general Christian responsibility. A ministry where every Christian is responsible to God to be active, whether he or she has the gift or not. See, you don't share, or you don't sin by, let's say, sharing Christ with someone or comforting someone if you don't have the gift of evangelism or if you don't have the gift of exhortation. I mean, you're not going to sin. We all should be sharing. I personally think it's, this is why we're given these gifts. Because as we look at, some of you have the gift of mercy. I have learned a tremendous amount of how to show mercy in my own life. Though I may not be like, that may not be an outstanding characteristic of my gift. As I watch you, I, I get understanding of mercy. Or giving or exhortation or whatever it might be. So I'm open, I'm praying, I'm available. And I think the last thing is, I would be courageous, be you know, we, we need to be not fearful. I wonder how much, how much we miss of God's will because we are fearful. And especially as it comes to this area of spiritual gift. What if I do it and I don't and I fail? I was telling the uh, parenting class, there was an interesting story that came out of World War II. I, I need to just say this again. Um, I know the parenting class already heard it, but it was about Winston Churchill. And this was during the time just after Germany had invaded France and their guns and their planes were pointed towards England. And, they, and England knew the onslaught was about ready to come. And everyone was terrified. Fear was in, in the whole nation. And, and the cabinet got together with the Prime Minister Winston Churchill. And, uh, you know, you could see the terror and the fear in their eyes. And Churchill, well, he actually started, uh, lit his cigar (laughs) and said, I find this quite inspiring. He knew it. He was either, they were going to either step up to the plate and and, and, uh, against all odds, see them push back or they were going to become like France, overrun. Well, why do I say that? Because fear could have paralyzed them, but instead it says this is quite inspiring. And I and I looked at it in Christian life, whether it's parenting, whether it's the Christian walk, or whether it's using your spiritual gift. Isn't it pretty cool that God wants to use you? Isn't that inspiring to you? Don't let fear paralyze you. Well, after you do it, I would say this. Then you evaluate and see if your giftedness is been a blessing to others. Okay, you're evaluating. Okay, I've taught, I've encouraged. Has it been a blessing to others? Because gifts are for the common good. So that's the second step. I do it, and then I evaluate it. And the third step is, then I ask others. Even with, especially a person that has the same gift. What do you think? How, do I, how can I sharpen it? What do I need to change? They might even say, you know what? Boy, you have to really consider long and hard whether you're called to do this. 
remember, I, <laughs> in my own life, in preaching class, the, the, the teacher looked at me and said, John, you better really be careful about going into the pastor because I'm just don't, I don't think you're called to it. So you've got to be careful even how people respond. But, I, but you do have to counsel in the, or safety in the counsel of many. A wise man listens to counsel, Proverbs says. And then finally, let's say you do identify, and let's say you are serving and you are excited. You know, Paul tells Timothy this, stir up the gift of God which is in you. The idea of stirring up is fan it into flame. Because for Timothy, apparently, he, he was using his gift, but it was just becoming like, you know, the flame was going down. He said, stir it up. So for us, we need to stir it up. It implies that we use it more. We use it with more intensity, with more passion. I mean, if you have a gift, the rest of the body needs it. There's an accounting someday. And we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So you stir it up. I love the word stir up because it has to do with flames. I love fire. I love, I love watching my little kids around the fire pit. And by the way, I'm not going to burn anything until after May 1st. Um, but I give them a little bit, and then a lot of times when they were younger, and I don't see Ashley doing this any longer, but anyways, they would take their, their and I would give them a little bit of a hot coal. And then they would go out and get their, uh, you know, especially if it's this time of year or, or in, in fall, and they'd get the dry stuff, you know, and they'd put it on. By the way, sometimes they would just get grass, dry grass, and man, that flame would, and then it would die. And they had to learn that they had to put a little bit of that on, but then a little bit of twigs, and then a little bit of bigger, and you see the sparkle in my eye. And then, uh, yeah. Why? Because I wanted them to build a fire that was going to last. Well, in our own lives, that's how it is, right? You know, sometimes we flame, and then it goes really low. And Paul said, flame it, flame it. I mean, get it, get it burning, get it burning hot. Learn truths that keep you where you're not going to get discouraged, where you're not going to grow weary. Run well to the end, because you want to hear well done. By the way, remember where that passage is found, well done, thou good and faithful servant? servant? It's found in Matthew 25. Remember what was given? The master gave one servant five, and one two, and one one talent. And the five got five more, and the two got two more. But notice what he says to the one. It says, Then the one who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered. And I was afraid. Sometimes we get afraid of what God has given to us. And he went and hid the talent in the ground. And this is what the Lord said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. I'm not saying that's about spiritual gifts, but I think there's a principle here. The principle here is we have to, take, we have to use the opportunity God gives us. Take the opportunities that God has given us. And part of that opportunity is your own spiritual giftedness. And I don't want to be looked at and said, oh, you, you lazy, fearful servant. You weren't willing to use what I gave you. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? To do that, part of the responsibility is use your spiritual gift. Let's stand as we worship him.